Hi, welcome to today's podcast where I'm talking with Guy Skinner from CityGate Consulting. CityGate's based in the centre of London and works on the financial side of things, personal finances with business entrepreneurs, business owners, um, and in and around the south of England, really. But, but why don't I get Guy to introduce himself and we'll, we'll jump straight in. Hi, Guy. Welcome. Hi there, Daryl. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so I, uh, I graduated uh, in 2003 um, following a degree in, in business management and kind of uh, stumbled into being a financial advisor uh, in 2008. It wasn't something that I actually knew a huge amount about uh, when I first uh, entered the, the profession um, and I first started out by, by cold calling for eight hours a day uh, and targeting uh, lawyers in the city of London and gradually building a client base that way. Um, it took me about 12 months to get qualified and then after that 12 months later I'd also then got the, the best figures in the whole of the UK for the network I was in for somebody that had been qualified in the prior two years so those, the best numbers out of about 200 people. Uh, and then the, the journey's kind of followed on there for the last 12 years and, and taken different um, avenues. Yeah. So it's an industry that's undergone a heck of a lot of change over the last 12 years. Uh, must have been fun. And uh, being as a young fellow, I guess, at the beginning of that journey uh, for the industry that's gone through transition. Yeah, I mean, I like to think I'm still young now, but, um, but yeah, I'm not far off 40. But um, yeah, we had the, the retail distribution review in 2012. The last day of the year and that took um, things away from commission to being fee orientated and we saw the population of advisors fall by about 60 uh, percent uh, across the board so you know many couldn't uh, take the, the, the additional um, qualifications that they needed and many decided not to because they thought right well now's the time to retire so it, there's been a shrinking pool and growing demand but it's been harder to, to actually give the advice and get remunerated yeah. And the outcome, though, for everyone, the benefit for everyone is that we've now got a, a mature industry that's you know, professionalized is I think is how people from the outside see it. 100 percent. I think one of the biggest challenges I, I typically face is the, the actions that predecessors have, have done and uh, ripping people off. And there's, you know, there's so many um, stories that people will tell you of things that have gone wrong. And that's the backdrop to most initial conversations. And it's you know, one very much of trying to win trust, which don't get me wrong, I think is something you have to do in everything, every walk of life, you know, but um, we're up against it from the outset. So it, it generally works very well on a referral basis um, where we, we've, we've got a group of people that we already know um, and we go and walk through the door with some element of trust as well. Yeah. So, so my experience of working with you and, and knowing you is that, um, as you mentioned, you're, you started out working with professional advisors, lawyers in the city, and you've continued to, to focus on the, the professionals and business owners. And my sense is that you get and give a lot of work to, uh, via referrals. So you're, you've built up um, what we call at Succession Plus a, a golden circle, uh, but, but you're working the network and, and, and I met you through people who I refer and give, give and receive referrals to. So should we have a bit of a conversation around that? You know, where does your work come from? How, how do people introduce you? Uh, because everyone I've met so far says, says good things. So uh, you must be doing something right in those circles. Yeah, I mean, it, it takes a long time to, to establish, that's for sure. Um, I suppose my fortunes kind of changed around 2012 because uh, 
on the back of uh, auto enrollment, a lot of companies obviously were going to start needing uh, pensions setting up. Um, and my own accountants that I still work with to this day, uh, I approached them and said, look, could you consider me to be somebody in the running to, for speaking to your existing clients? Uh, I think they have about 800 businesses as clients um, in the accounting practice. It's a six-part practice, so it's by no means a small venture. Um, and I was put up as part of a beauty parade against six others, and, and I was lucky enough to be the one that they chose. So on the back of that, I must have set up about 150 pension schemes for their clients. Um, and then that's led to other work with the directors of the businesses. Um, and then I've, I've always just had an interest in trying to do as much as you possibly can for the client for the best outcome, which has led me to look into different avenues and speaking to people like the FD Centre, my in-house lawyer, speaking to existing clients that I have that work in corporate law, um, but, but ultimately always with the aim of what is best for the client and how can we get good news stories to people to help them. Um, the analogy that, and I'm sure you've probably heard this before, but it's almost like a GP. So I'm there in the middle as a general practitioner doing what I do, and um, five people off to the heart surgeon whenever they need heart surgery, or the oncologist if they've got cancer, and, and, and they deal with R&D tax credits, or you know they might deal with writing their wills or lasting powers of attorney or a shareholder agreement, all those sorts of things. So you know, it, you know, I also like to operate on a clean basis where it's we work in partnership, but I don't actually want any any remuneration in return. Um, it's got to just be for client betterment, so there's no um, misaligned uh, priorities. Yeah, it's a great way of doing it, isn't it? I, it's, it's keeping that relationship clean. You're not hiding anything from the client. If they ever find out that, uh, that money changed hands, they'll, they'll begin to wonder why the referral was made. And you know, I'm not saying there's any right or wrong ways, but that's a way that you know, I've seen work really well. And when it's done proactively, you end up solving or identifying problems that the clients didn't know they had and pointing them in the right direction to get that solution uh, for people who have solved the problem for you in the past. So you know it's a safe pair of hands. Absolutely. We, we don't know what we don't know. So we always need that bit of a push. Yeah. Well, and we've all got our areas of expertise. So um, why don't you jump in a bit and tell us about a bit about what you do for business owners and, and uh, how you help them get ready when they're starting to think about leaving their business. Um, they've built a business up, typically a, an asset that's worth a lot of money. It's, um, uh, you know, and there's, there's potentially tax issues, but there's, there's going to be some sort of transaction. How do you work with a client in that scenario? Yeah. So there's, there's many things that we do with business owners and with the companies. Um, and really what we do, it, it bridges both independent financial advice on an individual basis. Yeah. and employee benefits consultancy and advising of the company. So there's almost three parts to the client. Um, and I think there's, there's, there's not a huge number, of, I'm not trying to brag too much, but there's not too many advisors that actually get the fact that there's all these different parts that integrate together. And so although I am a pension transfer specialist and I've got the highest levels of qualification you can have with pensions, I wouldn't ever pigeonhole myself and say that's the sole thing that I'm a specialist at. I've got a holistic overview. So I suppose that's the first thing to, to put out there. And I'll hold my hands up whenever it's something that I can't do, but I'm generally aware of, such as R&D tax credits. Um, so I think if I was to say there's this five things that most business, business owners should really be looking at, um, I could break those down um, quite simply. So 
first and foremost, every business owner that has an employee should be complying with auto enrollment. And although that sounds like a really straightforward no-brainer, um, I think if I was going to be selling a business, and not if I, if I wasn't a financial advice business, but if I was selling a business, I'd want to know that where I'd had to follow government protocols and guidelines that I'd done them properly. And um, many, many clients that I'm introduced to have actually uh, implemented auto enrollment incorrectly. And you know, it's it's not something that. Um, needs a great deal of work to be rectified. It's just largely about communication, the timeline, the structure of things that maybe they were carried out, and they can be rectified. But I think, you know, the, the reason why the regulator's not called up uh, on these people and, and started fining them is because they're, they're still quite busy with other things. But there's going to come a point in time where this actually comes back to bite people. So I would recommend to any business, irrelevant of actually whether or not they're gearing up for a sale, that they should be looking at some sort of audit. Or they're also wrong to make sure they've been following the guidelines and they've got the right governance in there. But equally, you know, if I was buying a business and I looked at that and I found that there was something wrong with it straight away, it would lead me to think, well, what else might you have done that wasn't right? It's quite a visible, easy thing to do. Um, and leading on from that, in some respect, because it's quite a large payroll cost, um, I'd also want to make sure that I was getting a good return on investment if I was the company owner and actually that my employees valued what I'm giving them which is probably costing me the best part of at least 3% of payroll. Um, so we've got to make sure that those people are educated, that they know what they're receiving and why it's a benefit. And if we've got them and they're happy and they, they, they're reassured that their financial well-being is taken care of, then actually we're probably going to have a happier workforce. But the pension is very much a hygiene factor these days because it's mandatory. Yep. So that kind of leads me to the second point where I would look at a suite of employee benefits. Uh, to drive engagement but again time and again I'll see that this is more a case of something that's done to the workforce rather than done with them in mind and done for them and with them so the, the, the best cases are when actually there's some consultation given and we ask the workforce what is it that you'd actually like what would you find valuable and very often you'll get well I don't really want insurance because it's just money down the drain but it's the actual application and understanding of how the insurance would work and why it could be of benefit. So again, I find it very useful to give some sort of communi communication. You know, even last week on Zoom in lockdown, I was giving 40 people a, a webinar about the relevance of financial planning and why income protection would be useful if they were unable to work, why private medical insurance would be useful. I think I, think I read last week, on the back of the NHS not conducting any, as many routine procedures, there's going to be a backdrop of about 10 million people waiting for surgery. So there's probably never been a better time for you to provide private medical insurance for your workforce. And that's not just to benefit you as Mr. Employer so people can return to work quicker. You are thinking about, in an altruistic fashion, the employees returning to their families and, and not having as much time in hospital and, and being treated well and treated expeditiously. Nobody really wants to wait longer than they have to for a new hip or a new knee. Um, so, so generally speaking, uh, employee benefits across the piece, but actually conducting some sort of surveys and finding out what people want. Um, it wouldn't maybe surprise you too much that the most popular employee benefit, if you ask people, is having fruit delivered to the office. Really? So it's not actually that expensive, but it's, you, you know, you're visibly taking care of people's health. You're making sure that they eat well. You're trying to cut out the cut of the cakes and the chocolate every five minutes to replace it with an apple and a banana. And, and that actually drives a lot more well-being than a lot of many other things. But just asking people and engaging them and involving them is, is 
going to enhance motivation anyway, um, but then you've got to follow through with providing what people have asked for. Um, and then also, if, if you're going to sell a business, I guess one of the key things that a lot of uh, advisors that you work with and you, indeed yourself will speak about is the fact that you've got to extricate yourself from the business to be able to sell it. So if you can't do that, you've kind of got something that's not saleable if you want to walk off into the sunshine. Um, so to facilitate that, you've got to make sure that you have some very important people in that business. Uh, and if I use the word key rather than important, you might see where I'm heading with this. So those sorts of people, they are at risk. Um, you would try and stop them leaving to join a competitor. You would try and keep them as best, best you could, as happy as you could. Um, but very often people don't necessarily think about the fact that these people might leave the organization not wanting to themselves, which could be because they've died or it could be because they've suffered some sort of ill health that means they can't work. So key man insurance or key person insurance, I should probably say in 2020, um, is something that a lot of, of business owners overlook. And it doesn't have to be anything expensive. And, and um, I think many business owners would be kidding themselves if they said that nobody was key within their organization apart from themselves. Um, you, you, you've got to look at a thorough audit of what is your value chain and where do people sit within that and who is so crucial to your business that actually, even if they weren't able to be with you for a month, uh, for whatever reason, uh, what would the financial implications of that be? Lost profit, disruption to business as usual, uh, potentially lost client contacts, all that sort of stuff. And so we've got to attribute some sort of value to that, but then look at it a bit more seriously. Yeah, so, so when, when your business is functioning and, and fully working as you'd wish it to, and you're making profits in excess of, what you need to take out of the company and, and, and pay yourself. Um, we need to be thinking about how you can take that money out of the company as tax efficiently as possible. So, uh, you know, I, I'm guessing that you've had many people say to you as they have to me that their business is their pension, but ultimately their pension should also be their pension. And so there's an allowance of 40,000 pounds a year that people can put into a pension so long as they've not exceeded earnings of 240,000 pounds. You know, it's the full pound that they invest into that pension from the government. Um, it's it's pre-corporation tax. It's pre any additional tax you've paid on dividends. And typically, it would be forty. It would be fifty-five pence in your hand uh, if you paid those taxes versus putting it in the pension at the full pound. Yeah. And then, just other things that I've done with clients uh, with pension pots that we've built up is we've purchased the commercial properties that they sit in. Because again, not many companies, when they're looking to acquire a business, actually want the physical space that you might sit in. They want the brand, they want the company, they want the IP, but they don't want the physical building. Yep. So again, it's a great way of, of taking that out of the business, but still having ownership. And again, extracting further profits into your pension pot by paying rent into it. Yeah, it's a, interesting. Um, when you see business owners that have, you know, they, I, that's a story that we hear all the time, you know, their business is their pension. Um, and I like the distinction you make, well, make your pension your pension because when their business is their pension, they've got all their eggs in just one basket by having that pension. And as their pension builds up, you just get a sense of business owners who have got financial security outside of their business because they tend to be much calmer leaders. Um, they, you know, every little, they, they're able to ride through the, the peaks and troughs of the business without getting overly stressed. And that way they can become better leaders or, or more uh, stable, you know, emotionally stable leaders to, to lead uh, the, everyone in the business. 
So it makes a massive difference from, from what we've seen. And as you say, uh, there are tax benefits as well uh, in terms of extracting money out, but you've got to drip feed it out rather than trying to take it out in one lump uh, at, at, at the end of the journey. Yeah, 100%. And uh, in the bigger picture, the, the pension actually gives you some sort of inheritance tax benefit because if you die pre-75, it's not part of your estate. So, you know, a lot of these people that are looking to sell businesses will probably have estates of seven and eight figures. Um, and they should be thinking about their inheritance tax planning. So it's a useful tool for, for things that you've not even considered yet. Okay. So it sounds like you've got a bit of a checklist or a, or a process that you follow for business owners and you go, here's all the things that we need to do and we need to advise them on because all of those things that you mentioned, I could see that a business owner may have some concept about but not have any, any real thought on, on the, the real benefits or even how to get started by, by you know, to implement it into their business and you mentioned a, a number of areas around um, well employee benefits uh, which is I think something that's going to become more and more popular because you know as the the, the new generations coming through you know it's not just about the money it's about the, the culture and the workplace and being aligned to a cause and and I think the the new generation you know there, there's opportunity there to share the bigger picture with them and instead of business owners just, you know, it's my business, you work for me, you know, that attitude is changing to, to recognising that employees are actually the biggest asset. And, and whilst that's been rhetoric for many years or generations even, you know, we can recognise that employees are our best asset and, and start to explore um, employee share ownership plans, uh, which are becoming more and more popular. And they're a great way because you can put checks and balances in them but it's a great way of making sure that everyone's heading in the same direction. It's a new style of culture to make them work well um, and get everyone aligned. So I think that that'll work or does work really well with the other employee benefits that you're talking about there. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah I think uh, you, you've got to live by your values. You know, you can't just say, as you said, the rhetoric of we care for people and our values are this, that and the other. And the most visible way of doing it is providing something that says we actually care if you're unwell and we, we care about your family if you pass away, things like that. But you've yeah, got to communicate yeah. it in the same way rather than just say, here, have some insurance. And that's the bit that I think people miss out. Bingo. Yeah, look, your behaviours need to back up your words. You know, talk is cheap, as they say, but um, you know, doing all those things that you're talking about, demonstrating, like the fruit basket, it doesn't cost a lot of money, but it, it's such a powerful statement to the workforce. Yeah, and, and I've seen when, when you see that, it's just a, the culture in a workforce like that is just so much more alive and giving and aligned, which means, you know, that's all the source activity. What, what happens in a workforce like that? Well, they tend to be more productive. Everyone works well as a team. They're, they're accountable to each other in a team. And the outcome of that is higher profits. It's, it, you know, whereas, you know, if, when the, the classic is, well, how can I cut costs to make profits? Well, how do I invest to make profits? I love where you're headed. Yeah, I think in the backdrop with, with where we're heading in terms of recession and what's, what's ahead of us all as a nation, as a globe, in fact, it's, um, that's going to be more, more prevalent than it's ever been before, I think. Okay, so you've been running the business for, I think you said about 12 years now. Every business owner must, you know, makes mistakes, does things that, uh, you know, tries things, they don't all work, you know, they, they break out of the mold, they, you know, what have you tried that, that has worked and, and hasn't worked in terms of business strategy? Um, well, I, 
so this is actually the the second iteration of the company. Um, I I left the business that I started at in 2010 when I when I first became an advisor, and I set up a new company with a colleague, but that didn't work out as you as you like it to. Um, and it wasn't fortunately it wasn't a fatal blow, um, but it was quite detrimental. It impacted my um, my confidence and trust in other people. Uh, but it was a great lesson because I'm kind of I understand the uh, mindset of a business owner as well, because I've lived it and I've, I've had a business that's not worked out with a business partner. We didn't have shareholder agreement in place. Um, you know, I made classic mistakes that many people still do. So it's not just um, preaching without realizing what I'm actually saying. I, I've lived that, I've experienced it. Um, but I've been more, I've been fortunate in many ways. And I think, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So um my biggest downfall i think though is generally been the fact that i, I struggle to say no to people because uh, i just want to help as many people as i can and i won't focus as much as i possibly could on a specific target i will help um somebody that, that needs 15 pounds a month of life insurance and somebody that's got 13 million pounds of money to invest and, and do stuff with uh, and that's largely because uh, my, my, my father passed away when I was 10 years old and he was 44. Um, and the reason why I do this is because he had great advice only a couple of years before he was diagnosed with cancer. And that meant that my mum still never had to go back to work. We didn't have to move house as children. I didn't have to move schools. Uh, and it was all very pertinent. So I think one of the reasons why I've been quite successful as an advisor over the years is because I've always had that fire in my belly knowing that what I'm doing is underlying helping other people's children not suffer the consequences that I could have suffered if my dad hadn't taken good advice. Um, and I feel grateful for that because what could have turned out to be something that you could dwell upon and, and, and really um, feel like you've been dealt a, a poor hand in life has actually really helped me and I feel quite lucky. Yeah, I think it's the businesses that um, we work with where there's a, a passion, a cause, a real fire in the belly like that, they're, you know, they're the ones that you know, we, we talk about, you know, all the literature out there is about being cause-driven or purpose-driven. And they write books about it because you know, it's, it's inspirational and the businesses that are, are fueled like that tend to be better run businesses. They tend to uh, you know, always have the energy, always remember what the end is about. You know, they begin with the end in mind and they, they remind themselves why they're doing it. And, uh, and it's similar to why we're running Succession Plus in that, you know, we just see so many business owners leave their business without a plan and, and they don't get the, to get the most from their life's work. Or they end up with some sort of earnout that they have to work on where, you know, they, you know, they, they end up leaving before the earnout and leaving a whole lot of cash on the table. And it's sad because it's avoidable. So um, yeah, it's that that drive, that passion, that purpose that um, attracts people to go. I want to go on that journey with Guy to because he's helping people. He's not just trying to make money. Uh, and making money is the outcome. And it's always you know source driven versus outcome driven. You know we end up doing a better job. We ha and we enjoy the journey a lot more as well. One hundred percent. So, I think it was Elon, Elon Musk, I think it was, was speaking about the fact that um, your desire is to get from A to B. And if, if fuel is essentially cash, which is, is, is the fuel of a business, you never operate for fuel. You operate to get to destination B from, destin from, from start point A. 
but yeah, a lot of business owners and a lot of people will run a company and forget that. Yeah. No, it's a good reminder. Um, and there's lots of metaphors to, to get you there. So, and uh, he's another polarizing character, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah he okay. probably played upon that one seeing as it's electrical vehicles that he uh, he's selling. But yeah. Yeah. So you've been running the business, you've made some mistakes, you've, you're, you're practicing what you preach. You've shared a lot of wonderful information with us today. But the listeners are out there thinking, okay, so what's the one thing Guy really wants me to walk away with? What's your top tip for business owners getting ready for exit? Um, so the, 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 the top singular tip and the thing that I think a lot of people miss out on um, and they don't realize that they are subject to potentially missing it is entrepreneurs relief. So we've already seen it drop from 10 million allowance to 1 million allowance. Um, but there's a lot of fortuitous people that have had it that shouldn't have had, but um, very few people, even accountants, I mean, are aware of the 20%. So we need to be mindful of, of when companies have too much cash on their balance sheet and make sure that actually they're not going and heading towards a sale and they could have done more to have got the cash out of the company and then lost out on paying 10% less tax. Um, I mean, it's difficult to narrow it down to one thing. And I think if I was to stray into the realms of just financial planning in general, as opposed to business owners, and I know that I'm going off topic here. Even if people never took, um, never took financial advice or advice in general, I think actually the one tip I would give people is to take more risk in life. Okay. Um, it's too many people are recklessly cautious. Um, so we, we look at people's pension planning and I could talk for hours about what the typical workforce does or doesn't do with their employee benefits and their pensions and so on. But we only find generally that about 10% of employees actually do anything with their pension fund. Yeah. And then the remaining 90% will be in the balanced default fund that they've always been in. And the other 10% might actually make some alteration to it. But that's just, uh, a, a a snapshot of what's happening in the bigger picture. And the reality is that the majority, you know, most people in the country, most people in the world won't take the level of risk that they really should do. And they underestimate the power of compound growth. And they underestimate that over the fullness of time, investing in stock markets will actually yield returns if, if, if you are going to invest and you can invest for the long term. So if people never engage with an advisor, um, I encourage people to take more risk and go for things in um, there's no point in having any regrets, be it from your desire to drive and build a business or your desire to make money or your desire to have a big pension pot. We need to all generally take a bit more risk. Yeah. So keeping your eye on that end goal, not the daily goal, what's happening from day to day. Remember what you're doing at the end and keep your eye on that target. hundred percent. We, 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 I think somebody said somewhere along the line, we overestimate what we can do in one year but we hugely underestimate what we could do in three years, five years and beyond. And so, you know, memories are short and even now on the backdrop of coronavirus and lockdown and the way that we're thinking people will live a different life on the back of it, memories are short and people are already getting back in their car. Um, people aren't thinking about the, the green revolution so much as they were even two months ago. Um, but because of that and because people don't really fully appreciate that we live through economic cycles, these, these times come and go, markets will rise, markets will fall. Um, be counterintuitive, don't, don't 
fall victim to your fear um, and actually do the opposite of what your instincts tell you because we let fear drive us far too much in life and actually we should be greedy when other people are being fearful and we should be fearful when other people are greedy but how often do people do completely the opposite wise words from someone who's been there well wise words from warren buffett actually but um i kind of paraphrased it yeah but you know you've also been on the journey so you can relate yeah. and um yeah so that's, yeah. that's what makes it powerful and real and and yeah just feeling it the message is from the heart so i get it um so that's a great place to to finish today's podcast guy uh, appreciate your wisdom and sharing your thoughts and uh thanks for being on the show thank you very much for having me Darren.